0: Today's episode is brought to you by the best portfolio tracking tool available for Aussie investors, ShareSite. Put away the spreadsheet, ShareSite makes it ridiculously simple with automatic holding updates, comprehensive tax and performance reporting, wrapped up in an easy to use fully online system. My favourite thing about ShareSite is how easy it makes tax returns. Simply generate your tax report at the end of the financial year and voila, you're done. And here's the best part, it's 100% free for users that have under 10 holdings. If you have over 10 holdings and want to sign up, make sure you use my link to get the first two months for free. Head over to AussieFirebug.com forward slash ShareSite to receive this special offer. Even if you're signing up using the free plan, using that link will score you two months for free if you ever decide to own more than 10 holdings. Finish tax time with a click of a button using ShareSite by signing up today. That's AussieFirebug.com forward slash ShareSite for your free two months. Hey guys. Welcome back to another episode of Arcs Firebug Fridays, the monthly fire Q&A where you guys get to submit your questions and I try my best to answer them. Now I have left this, this episode to the last minute actually. It's a Thursday night in London, so I've got to get it recorded, edited and published before I go to bed tonight. Uh, so it's going to be a quick one, but we're going to be chatting about investing a house deposit or what to do. If you've got some money and you're thinking you're going to be buying a home in the next couple of years the savings account isn't really doing it for you so I think it's a common one going to be chatting about that and giving my thoughts also we're going to be chatting about things that I would have done differently in my journey on or towards financial independence to retire early and lastly why the unit price of a fund is largely irrelevant let's get into it As always, we start off with a disclaimer, so nothing we're talking about in today's episode is financial advice. The following Q&A is for general information only and should not be taken as constituting professional advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decision or any decision uh, that's important to you really. So the first question we have on uh, this Friday comes in from Franco. Franco writes in, Hi Aussie Firebug. I currently have cash I currently have some cash funds that is used as my emergency fund. Given the poor cash rate on the bank savings account, what would you recommend I invest in in order to generate some returns while still having access to the funds? I know mutual funds have some fixed income funds. I assume this would be a similar position for most invest- investors when they save up for a deposit on a property. Thanks Franco. Thanks for writing in Franco. And this one, this is always a tricky one. And honestly, I think 99% of people or a really high percentage of people go through this at some point in their life, uh, especially in today's economic climate. Maybe when the high interest, high interest savings account, the, the highs were uh, returning a bit more back in the day, it wasn't such a big deal. But right now, I, I haven't looked at it. Uh, what, what, the highest one out there is at the moment, but I think it's around like 3%, maybe 2.5%, which by the time you factor in inflation, it's really not returning you anything at all, right? And I get the frustration and a lot of people are in the same boat. Um, so to your question, well, firstly, reading your question, I'm, I'm unsure, um, your emergency fund should always be there in cash and I wouldn't, like if I was in your situation, I wouldn't be using it as a down payment for a home. The, the emergency fund traditionally just sits there in cash always and um, if something happens like an emergency, hence the name, you can um, dip in and pay for that emergency. So it's possible that I misinterpreted your message but it sort of sounds like you were saving up with your emergency fund to one day use that as a deposit on a house. Apologies if I took that incorrectly, but um if you are doing that it's it's not something that I would do or or um recommend. Not that I'm recommending anything, but uh if I was in your position, I wouldn't be doing that. So the question really becomes and this is the the, the most important thing in with this sort of question is when are you actually planning to buy? What's your time frame? Because knowing your investing time frame will dictate a lot. If you're realistically going to going to be buying a house within the next year or two, if I was in your situation, I'd personally leave it in the hyzer. I know it's not going to um, do anything special for you. I know it sort of feels like your money isn't working as hard as it could be, but really the potential um, of a big crash happening right before you need to pull your money out and to buy a home is just the risk is too great and... Um, this would change if your time horizon was five or ten years away, but not too many people save up to buy a house for ten or fifteen years. I'm sure there, there are some, uh, but in that sort of situation, there is. I, I would explore more options if I was in in that, one of those situations. But if it's going to be something that you're going to be buying in the next um, one year, two, three years time, I'd just stick it in the hyzer um, and. Save up and, and buy the house. Really, it's unfortunate. the the current climate, economic climate, is really punishing savers savers a bit, uh, which is which is very unfortunate. But um, you know, these things go in peaks and troughs. The interest rate is lousy now, but that's not to say the interest rate will be the same in five or ten years down the track. So I'm sure the rate will go up eventually, um, and your money will work a little bit harder for you. But right now. Yeah, the, the the options that I would I would be looking at in your situation is just just to leave it in the hyzer uh, and to purchase that property and then go from there and then start to um, put put that surplus of cash once you've purchased the property into the markets or into an investment that you feel comfortable with and and just go from there. But thank you for writing in. Our next question today doesn't actually have a name attached to it. I don't think I, I didn't I didn't get one. So just uh, anonymous writes in today. Hi Aussie Firebug, my partner has been following you for some time now and he recently introduced me to your blog. My partner and I are 23 and 21 and are keen investors and avid followers of your blog. I feel as though we are in the very position you would have been in at our age with similar goals in mind. We are currently considering buying a house over the next few years but having read your blog we opted to rent until kids are in the picture and we've even decided to delay our Euro trip as well. Wow, that is very, very similar. I'm just messaging you to see if in hindsight you wish you would have done anything differently roughly eight years or so ago or any advice you would give your younger self other than the value of investing in ETFs. Smiley face. Specifically speaking in terms of investments, thanks so much and look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, Oh, actually, it's Jess. My mistakes... uh, so the message coming in from Jess. So thanks Jess for writing in. Uh there is a lot of well first of all your position is um it does sound a lot a lot like you you were in the same position that I, I was in and it's scary the whole similarities to the delayed Euro trip. So um yeah it's a bit freaky but I there's plenty of things that I would have done differently. I was lucky to not have made a huge mistake financially or invest in Um, during my lifetime like I know there are some people that uh, get wiped out during their investment um, career or they make a really really silly mistake and it can bog them down for quite a long time so I haven't got any major major issues that I ran into but there's some of the finer details that I definitely did that if I could go back to my younger self I would say that to to do it differently. So the first one I have is I wouldn't have set up a trust if I'm being honest it just complicates things and you don't really need it to reach fire. Uh, in hindsight, I would have either went a 50-50 split with Mrs. Firebug or even 100% in her name. Uh, being the lower income earner, it would have worked just fine and it would have made accounting a lot simpler and um, there's a lot of things that, that go on with having a trust. It's not as simple as people think but in saying that, it does does give a lot of flexibility and part of that um, at the moment I'm finding very useful because I'm in the UK and I'm working here and I'm not a resident of Australia anymore for tax purposes, which means my income at home through my investments gets taxed at a higher rate. However, because it's in a trust, I can divert it to my parents who are retired and they don't pay any tax at the moment. Um, so there's all these sort of uh, advantages that it can give you. But if I'm being 100% honest, majority of people won't need it. Um, there are s- certain cases where it's probably worth worth it to set up um, where you're going to save yourself a lot of money um, in tax o- over the long run. But the simplicity really, as I, as I grow older and as I continue down my journey towards fire, I'm valuing simplicity a lot more. like in my earlier days, uh, I was into property investing, and I liked the the active part, the active nature of that investment class. And I was willing to put in the hours and um, you know do everything. It was like a, it was really like a a little business or a, a side hustle. Uh, but now I'm all about the simplicity, so that's something that I would change. The other thing is, well, I I wrote this, and then I thought about it, and, and I'm not too sure anymore. So um, I wrote that I would have bought the IVV fund instead of the, the Vanguard's VTS because the IVV, uh, it has the exactly the same MER. It's a slightly different index that it tracks, but the major difference is it's domiciled in Australia, which means that you don't have to fill out the W8 E form, which is a tax form and it just makes um tax time a little bit more tricky, it, not too tricky. And I think people blow this out of proportion how much the W8BEN E-form actually requires of your time. It's, you know, 30 minutes every three years. It's not too bad. But um, the longer I thought about it, and there was a few things that have come out where Vanguard um are potentially moving a few funds to be domiciled in Australia. So um, maybe I'll just hang on to VTS for a little bit and we'll see how we go. Because I actually do like it and it's a lot more diversified than IVV. But really... That's really splitting hairs. Like that's such a, a minor one um, that you know it, it's it's not not really a big deal. Uh, the other one as well that this is something that I sometimes get asked, and um, it's it's a funny one to answer because some people come onto to the site and they get this impression that I don't like property investing or that I I think property is crap or real estate's you know a scam or whatever, and that's not. Not the truth. I, I don't regret investing in property at all, even though it's a lot more, even though it's a lot more work and it's an active investment class. There's no getting around that. Um, I actually quite like it for the right person. And I think me personally, property taught me a hell of a lot of life lessons in general that shares definitely wouldn't have taught me. And there was a whole, um, there was a whole, uh, Array of experiences that I had, especially with that first property that um, I renovated and I did the landscaping and I laid concrete. It was a lot more than an investment, um, and it also worked out pretty well financially. I I did make a pretty tidy profit off that one, but um, I actually yeah I don't I don't um, hate property investing, which I feel sometimes fire people in the fire community and even people that invest in shares. Generally can be a bit tribal between, and the same goes for property investors. A property investors don't like shares. They only like property and people that like shares only like shares and they, and they don't like property. Um, you don't, you don't often see someone that likes both asset classes. Um, there are a few people, but I, I I'm one of those people that I, I think that both asset classes have merit. And depending on what sort of investor you are, um, you can go to either one, but, In terms of fire, there's no getting around it, getting around it. The passive income stream from shares is, um, it's really unmatched. And that's why we're moving in that direction. But, um, yeah, I just thought I I would, I would mention that as well. Um, lastly, or one of the last ones is the, I would say that you need to make sure you're living a great life. So a great life doesn't have to cost much, as many of you out there know, uh, but don't deprive yourself too much. I was way too hardcore at the start and in the long run, it doesn't actually make that much of a difference. Like, yes, cut out you know a lot of crap that you don't need in your life, but I got to, you know, I think really in terms of a savings rate, um, anything past like, I'm just going to throw out like maybe 70, 75%. Obviously, it it does depend on how much you earn and everything like that. But there is, there is a point, maybe it's not a savings rate, but there's a point and you're going to know that there's a point um, where you do start to deprive yourself and you're not living a life that you would have normally lived. And that's not even to say that you can't live a great life living a really simple life. You definitely can, but... Uh, for me, there was that, that, that baseline of the, the bare necessities that I needed. And I was just too extreme at the start. So, um, I would say that just watch out. There's a, f- a few things that you can miss out on early in life and you'll never get those back that, um, potentially you could be halfway or near to near the end of your journey and think that really didn't matter that, um, if I went on that trip or I did this or that and now I can't get it back. So that's just, uh, one thing I will mention. Um, another one that I have here is I bought a car for 21 grand that I slightly regretted. I actually love the car. I've still got it. Um, it's back in Australia. My sister's driving it and it's a fantastic car. It's never let me down. It's, it's awesome. But in hindsight, I really could have got, I really could have got a similar car for around about six grand, I reckon. That would have got me from A to B and it would have done everything I needed to do. Um, I didn't need to spend that much on a car. And I know that might not sound like a, like a lot to maybe some people out there, but, um, 21 grand, it was, yeah, it wasn't necessary and I can't justify spending that much on a car. Even now, I think if I look at the market and the secondhand market and everything like that, there's plenty of cars out there that I could get even in today for under Under seven grand, under six grand that would just, would do the job just fine. So, um, that was probably, probably my worst financial decision. But as I said, I haven't had any major stuff ups to really bring me down. Uh, and that's it. Everything else has been pretty good. If, if it's, if it's been a mistake, it's been a learning experience anyway. So got to take a positive out of a negative. And our final question for this Friday uh comes in from New, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Nu and Nu writes in, Hi Aussie Firebug, firstly thank you for everything you're doing, the information and content that you put out there is truly life changing, you're inspiring, you're inspiring me to save, invest and get excited about what's possible in my financial life. for that thank you, appreciate that mate, that's very sweet, uh, I'm looking for your advice on this topic, here's my current situation, My partner and I began began our investing journey about six months ago. We currently own BetaShares A200, VAS and VEU since following your strategy which makes sense to us. We we also follow Scott Pape uh, and his work and he recently published the Idiot Grandson Portfolio which listed reasons why he prefers VAS over A200. We're now considering switching to VAS and I'm trying to understand the implications of buying different ETFs although they're both index tracking ETFs. And the pro- the primary question I want to get clarity on is, will the dividends pay more if we hold more than one ETF versus holding two? For example, will I receive more dividends if I have, say, 200 units of A200 shares versus having 100 of VAS and 100 of A200? I guess overarchingly, I want to understand how having a bunch of different shares that are the same in many ways affect the overall dividends and compound interest. I know you recently switched from VEU to an iShares product and I keep asking myself, didn't that affect his compound interest long term? Any advice you can share on the topic would be greatly appreciated. Well, thank you so much for writing in new and I'm pumped to hear um, that you're enjoying the content so much. That really means a lot to me and thanks, thank you for the uh, kind words at the start. Now, I've read the, there's a bit to get through on this question, but I've read the, the Scott's, um, the Barefoot Investor's Idiot Grandson's Portfolio 2, and it is a fantastic read with great reasoning and decisions on the investment products. And for anyone out there that hasn't read it, basically what it is, it's, um, the, the Barefoot Investor is trying to create a portfolio for his idiot grandson, um, where, He's not going to tinker with the portfolio too much, and the the grandson's just going to have it, and he's not going to ch- touch it for fifty or so, sixty or so years. So he's going to try to um, he's going to try to cover absolutely everything in this portfolio and make it really simple, really easy, so his grandson doesn't have to do anything. Um, and the three products he ends up with um, for the whole portfolio is, if my memory serves me serves me correctly, I think it's seventy percent. VAS and fifteen percent VTS and fifteen percent VEU, which is all funds that I invest in myself, and it's basically the Australian market heavily weighted to the Australian market seventy percent, and then fifteen to the US and fifteen to the entire world minus the US. Um, that's what he came up with. So it was a I I liked the whole article and I thought the the portfolio was was great there the three the three funds are the original three funds that i started investing in um, so that was cool to see that but um so back to your question about the the price of units and everything the price of any unit of a company is largely irrelevant as it's an arbitrary number and that's because when they first go public uh, when a company is first created or not when they're first created sorry when a company is created they can be private and they're not they're not traded publicly publicly on the stock exchange but when they want to become um, publicly traded, what happens usually is a company comes in and it gives a valuation for the IPO, the initial public offering for that company. but then after that the market sorts out what it what the company is worth through supply and demand based upon how much the company how much a company um, or a single unit of the company is worth and that can dramatically change. When an IPO is um, first released, the company could be doing really well, and and a a price of one unit could be really really good. But then after a couple of years, it could tank, and you know things could start to go wrong. So the price of the unit um, comes down comes down dramatically. So I want to give you an example of um, the differences on how units of a company can change dramatically, other than that one with it just crashing and why it's largely irrelevant in the um, in regards to your question. So theoretically, if we have a company that's worth, say, $100, don't worry about the technicalities. Let's just say a company's is worth $100 and they have 10 units outstanding, that would mean that each unit is worth $10 in, in a perfect, efficient market. Again, don't worry about everything that goes on. Let's just stick with that. Um, in this scenario. So you have a company that's worth 100 10 units are outstanding, that's $10 per unit. But what happens if they dominate the market and in five years time, their, their company is worth $100 million, which is extraordinary growth, but let's just say it happens. Now each unit is worth $10 million, which means it's very hard for people to sell units to other buyers. They can't put a Sell order in on the exchange because it's going to be really hard to find a buyer that, first of all, wants to buy the company and, second of all, has $10 million laying around to buy it with. So that's really hard. So, what does a company do in that situation? Well, there's a few things they can do, but one of them is a share split where the board of directors increase the number of outstanding shares to current stockholders the primary motive of this is for the to make the shares become more, more more affordable to small investors even though the underlying value of the company hasn't changed so they could split the share they could say um for every one share you own we're going to issue another 10,000 shares and and what that would do is bring the unit price down per unit but it would not affect the value of the company and it wouldn't affect your position in the company um and how much you owned of that company. It would dilute the the units per unit. It would dilute them and how much that they would make up of the ownership of that company. But it, it but it wouldn't change um your position or the company's value or anything like that. So this can happen and this does happen with companies, but also with um index funds. And they you have an index fund, I think um oh, off the top of my head I can't remember how much um VAS is worth I think I think it's like $150, isn't it, per, per one unit? Or maybe that's A200. Anyway, regardless, the, the, the price is arbitrary and that's the point I'm trying to get at. So um, through through things like share splits and um, if a company goes up and down, the, the, the price of the unit doesn't particularly matter as long as the underlying assets are the same. It shouldn't impact total return. So when we talk about A200 and VAS, they, they are a lot different Um, in terms of unit prices and also listed investment companies for that matter, like they're, they're a lot lower. So I think you can get, um, a lot of the older licks for like a dollar 25 per unit or maybe like three dollars per unit. And that sounds really good, but it really doesn't mean much because it's just a more diluted, more diluted share, um, going into that fund. It's not like you, the more units you have, um, well, the more units you have, the, the more you do own. But um, it, it the, the per unit or the, the bang for your buck per unit isn't as great as something like VTS or VAS, where the one unit is worth a lot more and buys you a lot more um, of that underlying fund. I really hope that makes sense because it's even confusing to um, to talk about and hearing that. So if it if it doesn't make sense or maybe I'm not explaining it well enough, just drop me a comment in the article and I'll, I'll try to. Um, Re- reword it. Uh, and lastly, with A200 and VAS, that's a probably a bad example to, to use because the difference in dividends between the two is largely affected because of how new A200 is as a fund. The fund has only been around for a year and a half, I believe, and it's it's really, really new. And I actually have, I, I did another um, ARK Firebug Friday on, on that Particular question about why A200 is not delivering the same amount of dividends as VAS, even though they track a really, really sim- similar I- index. VAS, of course, is the top 300 companies, and A200 is the top 200. And I'm going to link that in this article, so you can go read that because it's a bit lengthy, and I won't go into the whole thing. But just know that A200 is new, and as we progress further along um, our journey, and in in a few more years. I would expect A200 to to be returning almost, um, almost identical dividends to VAS. They will they will differ slightly with management fees and the the underlying index being slightly different, but the um the return should be really 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 similar. Um, and I hope that answers your question, mate. Um, so you shouldn't really you shouldn't worry about the unit price. If you're doing index investing, the unit price is largely irrelevant. Is the the overarching point I'm trying to get at? It's the underlying assets that underlying assets that matter, um, not how much every unit is worth. Hope that makes sense. And that is it for me today, guys. I will see you guys next time.